If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We're in Luke chapter 10 this morning as we continue in our sermon series that we have entitled, But First, A Study of the Priorities of Christ. Last week, we read about the return of Christ and talked about how we long for Jesus to return and to make all things right. And as we read about the return of Christ, we heard Jesus say, But first, the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. Today, as we come to Luke 10, Jesus tells us, how the gospel is proclaimed to all nations. Jesus sends his followers into the world to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And Jesus tells us how to do that today. As we hear Jesus say, but first, say peace to this house. We speak peace into the lives of those around us. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 10. I'll read verses 1 through 11 and pray for us, and then we'll dig in. Hear now God's word beginning in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whenever, whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with us now. There are many who are anxious and concerned and nervous when we hear that we're about to hear a sermon on evangelism. So I pray that you would be with us, that you would calm our hearts, that you would open our ears and our minds, and you would answer the questions that we have. That you, and I pray that you'd be willing to do that, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, let's just be honest. Let's just get it out on the table and name it up front. When you hear a sermon's going to be about evangelism, folks get a little bit nervous and we get concerned and kind of anxious, don't we? I mean, let's just be honest about that and admit that up front. I would imagine if you are here today and you are not a believer in Jesus, you may be thinking to yourself, oh no, are they going to try to sell me something I don't want? 
How long is it going to take me to get out? How many people are between me and the door? Like, how many people am I going to have to avoid getting out of here? Listen, let me assure you, we are not going to try to sell you something you don't want. In fact, that will be one of the points in the sermon today, so be listening for that. And we're so glad that you're here. And I think it may be interesting to you to hear how Jesus says the good news of the gospel should be shared with those who are not believers. Because I would imagine if someone has shared with you before, they may have shared in a way that's different than what Jesus says. So my prayer for you today is just that you would have ears to hear how Jesus says the good news of the gospel should be shared with someone who is skeptical or someone who is not a believer. So we're glad you're here. If you are here today and you're a Christian and you hear the sermon's going to be about evangelism, usually the first reaction is what? Guilt. I know I hadn't been sharing my faith and I feel guilty about it and he's going to make me feel bad. Or fear, anxiety. I don't know what to say to people. I really just want to get along with people in the world and I don't want to be confrontational in any way. And so I really just don't want to share my faith even if I know what to say. Let's just be honest and name those things. It is important that we learn to do evangelism the right way. A few weeks ago in Matthew 25, we saw where Jesus was talking to a a group of church people, a group of religious people. And if you recall, he made the statement, he said, You travel over land and sea in order to gain a single convert. And when you get a convert, you turn him into twice as much a son of hell as he was before. So yes, evangelism needs to be done the right way. Because it done the wrong way, evangelism can be damaging to people. So we want to learn the right way to do it. And Jesus is sensitive to that because of his words in Matthew 25. And because evangelism needs to be done the right way, many of us just avoid it altogether. Let's just leave it to the experts to do evangelism. And I want you to know Jesus pushes back against that idea as well. In Matthew 5, after the Beatitudes, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, down around verse 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand where it can give light to the whole house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine before men so that they might see the good things that you do and glorify your Father in heaven. I say all that to say this. Jesus understands our hesitancy about evangelism. But he does not allow us to opt out of sharing the good news. So what's the way forward? We can't avoid it. How does Jesus say the right way to do evangelism looks? What does he say about that? And I want to cover this by just asking four questions and hopefully giving answers to those questions. But just asking who should go, where do we go, How do we go? 
What do we say as we go? So if you're a note taker, the sermon is structured around those four questions, which I believe the text answers. So number one, who should go? And the answer is all followers of Jesus. All followers of Jesus. It's interesting if you look at the context where we find Luke chapter 10, Luke 10 starts after this. Well, after what, right? Well, if you look in the verses right before this, it's all about following Jesus. In verse 57, someone has come to Jesus and said, I will follow you wherever you go. So, so Luke's teaching us about what it means to follow Jesus. And in verse 59, uh, to a person, Jesus calls them to follow him. He says, follow me. And Jesus tells that person, as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then in verse 61, another says, I will follow you, Lord. So Jesus is dealing with people who want to be his followers. And he is talking to followers of Jesus here in this context. Then Luke chapter 10 begins. And we read there that the Lord appointed 72 others. Your translation may say 70 uh, there's, it's hard to read numbers in the Greek, so yours may say 70 or 72. But the point of the text is, he's not just sending out the 12, okay? He's not just sending out the experts. This is a larger crowd of people who are following Jesus, who claim to be followers of Jesus. A lot of folks look at these numbers and say they're symbolic, but clearly, whether they're symbolic or not, Jesus is expanding the ministry beyond the 12 disciples, beyond the apostles. Here's why that is important to us. We often think it's only the exceptional followers of Jesus who are really called on to share their faith. Right? I'm just a Jesus follower. I'm just one of the normal, in-the-pew kinds of folks. And I leave it to the exceptional people in order to share the good news of the gospel. And what Jesus is doing is here is he is expanding who it is that shares the gospel. That it's not just for the followers of his who are exceptional. To be more accurate, it is the good news of the gospel that is exceptional. And it is broken people like us who share it. So it's not that we have to be exceptional Christians. It's that the good news is acceptable. So we all, as followers of Jesus, share this exceptional message with the people around us. So that's number one. Who should go? All followers of Jesus. Number two, where do we go? Answer, everywhere. Everywhere. Verse one tells us if you read it, that he appoints these folks to go out where he himself was about to go. Well, where is Jesus about to go? If you were with us last week, you saw where we looked at lots of passages of Scripture, specifically Revelation 1 down around verse 7 and 8, where we learn that when Jesus returns, every eye will see him. We saw in Matthew 24 and 25 that all the nations will be gathered before him, all the people of the earth, that all the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to the Lord at his return, and the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. 
So where is Jesus about? He's about to go everywhere. That's where we go with the message, everywhere that we go. I love what he says in verse 5. Do you see what he says there in verse 5? Whatever house you enter, right, you're to speak this word of peace. Whatever house you enter, no discrimination at all. Wherever you go, whoever you're talking to, as you go, wherever the Lord takes you, that's where we're to go with this good news of the gospel. That's where we go. I want to just stop right there for a moment and ask you this question. Do you know people who are not believers? Do you even have relationships with folks who don't claim to be followers of Jesus? And I ask that question because when I, as I read the text, it seems to me that Jesus assumes that we're going to be in the homes of people who don't believe. That we're going to have them into our homes. That we're going to eat with them and drink with them. And if they're open to what Jesus alone can give, then we're to remain with them. So if they want to hang out, if they want to do life with you, knowing what it is that you bring, then hang out with them. Eat and drink and do life with them. I was talking to one of our elders this morning. He was telling me, we've got these friends, and they've like been inviting us over, and we've been spending a lot of time with them, and they're not believers at all. And I said, good! That's what the sermon's about this morning. Tell some other people about that. Look at what Jesus says in verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Don't go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. I like the way he emphasizes eat twice there, right? He talks about eating a lot. Like He's really concerned that you're going to eat whatever it is that they provide for you. I mean, he repeats himself there, which is very interesting to me because I like to eat. But think about that in this context. If I'm a Jewish follower of Jesus and I'm going out and maybe these are Samaritan people or a mixed breed, a mixed race of people, or maybe they're all Gentile and they're putting this stuff for me and I don't know if it's kosher or not as a Jewish person. And that's probably why Jesus says, eat whatever they put before you. And he says it twice because he wants to be clear. I don't want you to be caught up in those things. I want you to eat whatever it is they put before you because that's important in establishing a relationship with them. We ask questions like that, don't we? What if I don't like broccoli? What if they're not gluten-free? But what if I'm vegan? Jesus calls us to set aside our preferences. I'm not talking about eating food that you can't medically eat, but to set aside our preferences to move toward those who have preferences that are different than ours. That's an important part of this text that we glean from hearing him talk about what you would eat with them. And as we move toward people, In our own hearts, we tend to move toward attractive people, successful people. We tend to move toward pretty people who are popular people, right? Rich people. 
Look who Jesus says to move toward in verses 8 and 9, the ones that he said to be sure you include. Verse 8, when you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Verse 9, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. You have to, under, you have to remember sick people at this time, they were unclean people, right? They might be sick because they've been doing the wrong stuff and they're just suffering the consequences from God for their licentiousness. And Jesus says, go to the sick, go to the broken, go to those who can't work, go to those who are not succeeding, go to those who are the outcasts and say, Jesus cares for you. He doesn't say not to go to rich people here, but I think he's including be sure you go to those who are usually left out, to those who are on the fringes of society. Jesus says to even to these folks to heal them. Now, what is he going to do with that, right? In 30 seconds, how is he going to do Because we've got to have communion today. All right, listen quick. I don't have a lot of time. This is a one-time moment in history that Jesus gave this particular group his power that when he sends them out as an object lesson to them and to us about what his kingdom is like. The broken gets healed, right? And he's teaching us who we reach out to, those who are usually left out, that we want to be sure that we include them as we proclaim the hope of the kingdom. And so Jesus empowered them to heal for this period of time to teach this lesson, and we don't all have that same power that Jesus gave these folks. But don't hear what I'm not saying. (laughs) Don't hear me saying that God does not continue to heal people today because that's not true. Jesus continues to heal today according to how and when he chooses to do so. The power of God in response to our prayers to work wonders and to heal people cannot be limited. Look at James chapter 5. The the word calls us to pray for those who are sick. So such wonders continue to this day, and all for the glory of God and not for men. The lesson for us here is that Jesus said to go, to be sure as we go, we include those who are usually left out, the sick, the broken, those who can't work, the outcast, because our tendency is to go to what? Those people who are important. We tend to want to go to the influencers, we call them. Pretty people, popular people. People who do fun stuff, and we can do fun stuff with them. And Jesus says, don't forget about the people who are on the margin. The lesson, where do we go everywhere? Have unbelieving friends. And don't forget those who are on the margin of society. That's the answer to this question. Number three, how do we go? I see at least two things that tell how we go. First, we go dependent on God. And second, we go not forcing anything on anyone. So if you're worried about getting something forced on you, be sure and listen to that little second point right there, okay? First, we go dependent on God. You see it there in verse 2. Jesus says to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray 
earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus says, pray for more people to go. Prayer is an expression of our dependence on God. Jesus tells them to pray to help us to understand, look, I can't, by the power of my charm and persuasiveness, get more people to labor for the Lord. That the Lord has to raise up people to labor for him. And what's more, as we sang this morning, a verse of Scripture, salvation belongs to our Lord, we can't change anybody's heart. We can't make anybody a follower of Jesus. Only God can do that. So as we go, I want you to feel some freedom in that. That it's not up to you. You can't change anybody. It's just your job to be faithful and to say the things we're going to talk about in the next point. That's all you got to do. It's up to the Lord to change people's hearts. That's not our job. And so we go dependent on God as we pray, and he keeps emphasizing this dependence on God. What does he say next? Go on your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Boy, we love power in our society. But we're fighting over it politically, and we will call both sides, calling the other ugly names, lying about things, because really, at root, we want power. And we think power is important. And Jesus says, you're going out without any power. You're going out as lambs before wolves. You're going to have to depend on my power and not yours. What else does he say? Carry no money bag. Boy, we look to money for power, don't we? <laughs> Jesus said you're not going to look to money to provide what you need. You're going to look to me. So carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. I don't think that means go barefooted. I think he's saying don't take an extra pair, which you would usually do if you were traveling in these days. He's saying, I want you to go dependent on me. So how do we go, number one, dependent on God? Number two, not forcing anything on anyone. Boy, that's hard for us, isn't it? Because once we decide this is the right thing, and we really get a heart for we want people to want it as bad as we do, boy, we are tempted to shove it down people's throats, aren't we? It's the temptation. Look what Jesus says in verses 10 and 11, did you see that? He said, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus says, we come, we announce that peace is available through Jesus in his coming kingdom. And if we're talking to someone who does not want that, then let it go. Move on. Leave. That we don't have to stay there. That we don't have to keep working on somebody. So if somebody says, look, I'm not interested in it, that's okay. We just need to say, okay, listen, I understand you're not interested. I get it. I'm not here to mandate anything. I'm not here to manipulate you. I just want you to know that peace is available through Jesus and the kingdom of God is near. And that's it. So how do we go? We go dependent on God. We go not forcing anything on anyone. And the big one that people always want to talk about, well, what do we say as we go? What is it I'm supposed to say? 
We get real caught up in what are we supposed to say, and Jesus makes it real simple. This is our but first in this text, right? Jesus says, but first, offer peace. Look at verse 5. He says, whenever, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Let's talk about peace for a minute. Because for us as Westerners, we tend to think about peace the same way these Roman folks thought about peace that were in charge of Israel at the time. We tend to think of peace as the absence of war, the absence of conflict, the absence of hostility, the absence of turmoil. For many of us, we long for the absence of noise. Because we say, all I want is some peace and quiet, right? We tend to think of peace as the absence of something. But the Hebrew idea here is that idea of shalom. And the Bible certainly describes shalom as the absence of things, right? Pain, death, mourning, crying, all the things associated with the fall. And we tend to focus on the negative, but much more than that, it's not really the absence of something. And this idea of shalom is really hard to put into English in one word. But it's not, it includes the absence of, of things that sin has brought in the world, but it's more than that. It's not so much the absence of something as it is the presence of something. The presence of wholeness. The presence of completeness the presence of 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 an intactness having trouble with my words because it's hard to describe the presence of of safety in the sense of being safe and secure or safe and sound it's a completeness in the sense of being healthy that your body's working the way it's supposed to work. Sometimes Jesus would heal somebody, and then he would say, peace be to you, and he would heal them. Shalom, wholeness. So if something's out of joint, it's putting it back into joint. If something's not working the way it's supposed to, it's working the way it's supposed to now. It's the presence of that kind of wholeness. It's a remembrance of Eden. When there was no estrangement from God or from other people or from the creatures or from the creation, it is a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. When there's no more crying and pain, and I'm, I'm back to using the, the negative again because it's hard for us to imagine what the positive means. It's that state where things are made right between God and people and the creation and all is right in the world. But, listen to me, it's something that, that was not just in Eden and not just something we look forward to, but it's something that is present in us right now. That it's in us as we are in the midst of a broken and messed up world. And it's something that we offer to other people that's included in the kingdom of God that Jesus says to proclaim, that he is ushering in, that we can invite other people into. And so as we're sharing the gospel with other people, we first offer peace. We first offer shalom. That is the message of evangelists according to Jesus. 
Then we say Jesus can restore you to wholeness. The wholeness you were created for. And the wholeness that is the foretaste of what is coming in the kingdom of God is offered to you. Think about that. What does that mean for repentance? That means repentance would be turning away from the things that break us apart. Repentance is turning away from the things that make us less what we were designed to be. Repentance is turning away from those things that make us not as intact and turning to Jesus, the only one who can give us that wholeness, the only one who can make us into the people that we were made to be. We must share our faith in this way. Number one, we should do it this way because it's the way Jesus says to do it, right? That should be enough. Why don't you just shut up? Because i got another thought. Secondly, in this culture in particular, we need to do it this way. Think about it. We live in a culture that does not see Christians as peacemakers. We live in a culture that does not see the people of God as the bringers of shalom. That's working against us. So all the more that we should share the way Jesus says to share. Peace be to this house. I offer you the peace that Jesus alone can give. And sometimes people just don't want what Jesus offers. And that's okay. We can walk away. But sometimes what people are rejecting is not the gospel at all. They're rejecting the faulty and damaging ways we have shared the gospel in the past because we haven't led with, with peace, with shalom. Perhaps what they've heard in the past is Christians who have shared their faith but didn't first offer peace. They first offered condemnation. Maybe the Christians they've heard talk before first offered judgment. Maybe the people who are hardened to the gospel who think that they don't want to hear it, it's because the, the folks that have shared with them before, the first thing they offered was a political solution, was a political party, was a particular stance on a culture war issue. That is not what we lead with. Listen, hear my heart. You are going to be with people at Thanksgiving. You are going to be with people. This is coming up. You're going to be around people. And the temptation is going to be to enter into those debates. And you should have opinions about them, and that's great. But hear me out. Jesus says, if you want to share the gospel, you lead with peace be to this house. Wholeness is available to you. It grieves me that the first thing on our mind and often the first thing on our lips is not an offer of peace. As I really thought about this and contemplated this week, what is it that prevents us from sharing the gospel? Here's what grieves me most. I thought about new converts 
And a lot of times new converts are the people who share the gospel the most easily and the most freely. They've never been taught to do it. They just do it. They just have something that Jesus has given them. And they just want other people to have this good thing that they have. And so they just share because they want them to have what they've got. They haven't been trained. They're not worried about all the things we're worried about as Christians. And what grieves me most and what's my biggest concern is that some of us, if we are honest... We cannot honestly and accurately offer the peace of Jesus to others because we are not experiencing the peace of Jesus ourselves. We cannot offer what we ourselves do not have. That peace in the midst of the storm. We want Jesus to stop the storm. Jesus gives us a peace in the midst of a storm. Sometimes he stops storms. Sometimes he sends them. But he always gives us a peace inside of us, despite what's going on around us. A peace that passes understanding. A a peace despite what's going on around us. Inside of us, the voice that we hear louder than any other voice is Jesus saying, Peace. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Though the things around you are so broken and messed up and wrong and it's all around you, have peace because I am with you. Oh, other people are attracted to that kind of peace. We begin to live that way. We begin to really experience that kind of peace. We begin to have that kind of peace and live that out. You don't have to share people. They will ask you. Peter says, be ready to give an answer for those who ask for the hope that is within you. People want peace. They long for it. Everyone's looking for peace. We think we'll find peace if we have power. And Jesus sends us out as lambs among wolves, because peace is not found in having power. We think we'll find peace if we have money, and Jesus sends his followers out with no money bag, because peace is not found in having money. What do they say? More money, more problems, right? We think we'll find peace in living where we want to live and in eating what we want to eat. And Jesus says, go wherever I send you and eat whatever they put in front of you because peace is not found in living where we want to live and eating what we want to eat and getting our preferences our way all the time. We think we'll find peace in hanging out with rich, powerful, pretty, successful, influential people. And Jesus says, go to the sick, the outcasts, those who are broken and messed up, who can't deny that they are. Because peace is not found in being with the right kind of people. Peace is found in one place. And in one place alone. And that's in Jesus. If you're here today 
and you are a follower of Jesus, listen to me. We cannot give to others what we do not have ourselves. So I call you, turn from the other things you are looking to to give you peace and turn to Jesus who alone can give you what you are looking for. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm glad that you're here. Forgive us if we have led with something besides the peace that Jesus offers. First of all, hear this, peace. There is a peace available in Christ. And his kingdom is bringing it in all of its fullness. And you have an opportunity to experience that peace now and forevermore. And if you're willing, we would love to hang out with you and eat and drink and do life together and talk more about what only Jesus can give. Let's pray and ask God to help us with that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. <laughs> we get our ideas about how to share the gospel. Just open our ears and help us to hear you. Give us a heart for people. Help us to see them the way that you do. Help us to share the way that you call us to. And we pray that you'd be willing to use even broken and messed up people like us to grow your kingdom in this place and around the world. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.